Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Can a leopard change his spots? I want you to ponder that question and think about why do we ask that question in our culture? Can a leopard change his spots? Why do we ask that? We ask it because often what we have found, the character of someone dictates that they end up falling back into hurtful choices and actions for one reason or another over and over again. And Sometimes because we've, we've been hurt or we've maybe messed up ourselves, we were going to turn over a new leaf or we were going we to fix this and we fall back, we get the idea that a leopard can't change his spots. It's why we have that saying, we have this idea that that's not true. It's why in our culture we say, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on Why do we say that? Well, I should have known. If you hurt me once, you were going to hurt me again. What are we saying? A person can't really change, and those things can't happen. So I, I open with that question, can a leopard change his spots? And I want to answer that question very clearly. The answer is yes. Yes. A better and less certain question might be, will a leopard change his spots? Today we're going to look at the change that came in Jacob's life. Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel, I don't have time, by way of review, we're walking through Genesis verse by verse to go all the way through that, but Jacob was Abraham's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the three what we call patriarchs of Israel, the one through which God promised to make a great nation of, the one through which God promised um, to send our Messiah, His only begotten Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ through. And we're going to look at, at transformation, change that came in Jacob's life. And this morning, this is a two-part message. We're going to start here today, and we're going to look at what contributed to, what helped lead to his transformation. Next Sunday, in the next chapter, we're going to look at in what ways did Jacob change, and what ways do we need to change. And we're going to look at that next week. And, but today, we're going to look at what, what led to Jacob's change. And the second question, will a leopard change his spots? I would answer this way. So the first question, I say wholeheartedly, yes. Whether that's someone in your life, the answer for them is yes, and whether it's you, well, you can't, what do we say in our society? You can't teach an old dog what? We have all these things that we say that make it seem like whatever I am, whatever I struggle with, whatever, whatever's happening, it's just, I'm just destined for that forever. That's just who I am, and I'm here to tell you that's not true. I'm here to tell you that one that you think in your life, will they ever change? Now, here's the second question. Will a leopard change his spots? The answer to that is not always and not automatically. Not always and not automatically. Really, it's up to, if you will, the leopard. 
There's some things that have to be involved if a leopard is going to change his spots. We are in week five of our nine-week series that we've entitled, uh, we've titled Jacob's Journeys. Today is going to be the first of a two-part message, and just by way of review, we're looking at Jacob's Journeys, learning life lessons from a patriarch of Israel. By way of review, I'll give you just kind of where we've been. We've been basically taking one chapter a week, last week a chapter and a half, but we saw in week one of this series, Jacob's Dream. And, and that we challenge ourselves to find and follow God. In chapter 28, his dream, uh, while I was out of country, uh, our youth pastor Ryan, he preached Jacob's delays, where Jacob, after he worked seven years for Rachel, his father-in-law changed the, uh, changed the terms, and he ended up working another seven years. And we talked about the fact that sometimes the things that God has for us don't always happen on our timetable. And we looked at Jacob's delays, and then we saw Jacob's descendants and his 11 sons that were born, uh, Benjamin not yet born, will come in another chapter or two, his 11 sons and one daughter Dinah, and we looked at what those names meant and some real key takeaways. And then last week, Jacob's departure, he left his father-in-law after serving his father-in-law, helping him build an incredibly prosperous business. For 20 years, he and his family left, and we looked at Jacob's departure um, from his father-in-law's area to go back to the land, Canaan land, that God had promised Jacob. And we saw last week, family business can be messy business. And we talked about some ways, um, and and I think a a good, relevant, applicable message as many of us will get together with family this week. May I just stop and say, you're probably not going to change that person over one turkey meal this week. You're probably not going to solve whatever that big disagreement is in the family. Just go enjoy some turkey and stuffing and cheer for the Niners on Thursday night, all right? Just, just enjoy some football and, and have a good time together. But family business, we saw last week, can be messy business. This morning, we see Jacob's, what I've called Jacob's difference, and uh, I don't always alliterate, but here I have as I kind of outlined Jacob, the, the chapters with Jacob in it. And the title of our message this morning, talking about Jacob's difference, is this, people can change. Whether that's you or someone close to you, people can change. We're going to look at it in Jacob's life. Israel, Israel's been in the news a whole lot, hasn't it, since October 7th. By the way, I hope that you are praying daily for for peace in Jerusalem. The Bible commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, by the way, and and we ought to be praying for those hostages to come home safely. We ought to be praying for the grieving families of those who have lost loved ones in some senseless acts of violence and some of the collateral damage. War is a very ugly thing. And this is not my message, but Jacob, I'm going to get where I'm going. The reason that I mention Israel has been in the news. And, and again, by the way, the Bible still does say that God will bless those that bless Israel and he will curse those that curse Israel. Be careful about the anti-God, anti-Bible agenda that is sometimes um, promoted strongly in even news sources, social networks, things of that nature. We ought to be praying, if there's peace in Jerusalem, there will be peace in that entire region. And the Bible says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and, uh, and to be praying for that. But Israel's been in the news a whole lot the last month, five weeks or so. We're going to look this morning, though, why do I mention that? We're going to see the first time... Israel was ever in the news. It's in the pages of Scripture. It was about 4,000 years ago when God changed our main character of this series, Jacob. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. 
And at that time, the nation of Israel was about the size of some of your family Thanksgiving gatherings this week. It was just an extended family is all it was at that time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Those are the patriarchs or the fathers of Israel. But within a few generations, God is going to fulfill his promise. He's going to fulfill his prophecy. He's going to multiply the nation of Israel, the Bible says, like the sand of the seashore. And this is the first time what we're going to study today that Israel was ever in the news. And uh, within a few generations of today's passage, Israel multiplies, and they have existed continuously to this day. Understanding the Bible is vital to understanding many of the geopolitical issues facing our world today. So how did Jacob's life change? How did it come about? And then next week, we'll look at some of the ways that his life changed. I want you to pick it up with me if you have your Bibles in Genesis chapter number 32. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to grab one from the pew rack in front of you, the first book of the Bible, the 32nd chapter. If you're following along on a phone or a tablet, I'll be reading and preaching from the King James Version of the Bible. If you'd like, at times we'll read aloud together and you can follow along there. I do want to stop, and I, I mention this every now and again. But if you come to Liberty, you can expect, I would encourage you, either bring a Bible or have an app or whatever that is, and plan to look at it. Because if you come to Liberty, uh, one of my commitments is we are going to try to rightly divide the word of truth. You're almost never going to hear one Bible verse and a bunch of self-help platitudes. That's not what we are. If you're looking to be entertained by by a religious experience and some feel-good message, that's generally, this might not be the best place for you. But if you're looking to grow deeper in your knowledge of God's word and your application of his word to your life, and you want to know what the Bible actually says, we really try hard to make that the focal point of every message. And so, we are going to look at a good bit of Scripture today. Last week, we covered about 70 verses in the story that we covered. Today, it's only about half that. But I promise we'll walk through it, and I believe that you'll receive some helpful, applicable, relevant thoughts for your life today. And we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I believe that Scripture, it's where the power in any message is. And the power is not in my thoughts, my opinions, my personality, my humor. It's found in the Word of God. So, follow along with me this morning. Put yourself in the story. The Bible's alive. The Bible's real. Don't just sit here for the next 30, 40 minutes while I did my religious duty. Let's grow together. You ready? Let's jump into it. Genesis chapter number 32. Understanding where we were last week, I mentioned it, Jacob has just left his father-in-law. I think we have the map that we showed last week. He's left his father-in-law Laban after some wild events, wild encounters. He's on his way back to the promised land. So he started down here on the bottom left. He ended up in Haran, up there at the top. That's where he was for 20 years. Remember last week, he made it to the hill country of Gilead, and then you're going to see some of these other cities, Mahanaim, you're going to see there, Peniel, you're going to see Seir in Edom, there at the bottom. He's making his way back to the promised land of Canaan, the land that God had promised him. Look, if you will, chapter 32, verse number 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Edom is where his twin brother Esau, the Edomites, were. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Jacob, by the way, for those that maybe are jumping in with us, Esau is Jacob's twin brother that Jacob had done wrong 20 years prior. 
Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants, women servants. I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. So Jacob leaves his father-in-law, he's with his wives, he's with their, their, their uh, handmaids, they're with all of his servants, all of his flocks, his business, he's traveling down. And I don't know exactly why, when you look at this, he ends up there at that first dot right by the river Jabbok, but he says, I, he sent messengers down, you can see it's quite a distance, he sent messengers down to Edom. I don't know all the reasons. I don't know if this was solely motivated by fear well, if Esau finds out I'm coming back home, he may come kill me. Because you remember 20 years ago, the last thing Jacob knew that his brother had said was, I'm going to kill you if it's the last thing I do. Once dad dies, you're dead. They had, Jacob had deceived, Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright. They had major family conflict. So I don't know if this was him trying to protect himself based out of fear. I wonder, he had just had a pretty unceremonious split from his father-in-law. I wonder, based on the rest of this chapter, if it was Jacob realizing life is too short to be at odds with my family. And you know what? I've lost this relationship, really a healthy relationship with my father-in-law. I need to restore that relationship with my brother. It may have been that. We don't know. But what we do know is, whatever the reason was, Jacob sent his servants down and said, tell my brother... I've got a bunch of gifts to give him. I want to make it right. And the messenger comes back and says, the messenger comes back and says, hey, your brother's coming to see you in person, and he's bringing 400 men with him. Oh, no. 400 men. It's interesting. As you read this, we'll see it next week in our chapter, the reason Esau was bringing 400 men was actually to help guard and guide and protect his brother. But do you know what Jacob's first thought was? I'm dead meat. You know why? Because he knew he had done wrong to his brother. And often when we have a wrong heart attitude, we project that on everyone else. Well, they probably are going to think and act the way that we think and act. I was wrong to my brother, so my brother's probably going to be wrong to me. And this is Jacob's thought. It's his response. Look at verse number seven, please. Verse number seven, the Bible says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company, which is left, shall escape. Well, what is, what's he doing? In investments, we might say he was hedging his bets. He was hedging his investments. All right, I can't all stay here. We're going to split up into two. And at the very least, I'm just going to lose, lose half, of my, half of my goods, half of my resources, half of my family. We're going to split it up. I'm going I'm to diversify here. And so he diversifies. Look at verse number nine, please. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands, two groups. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. God, remember, you told me you're going to make my seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. How's that going to happen if Esau kills us? And he lodged there that same night 
and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, 10 foals. And he delivered them under the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then shalt thou say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second, and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. Get the picture. Jacob's traveling with his family. He's just left his father-in-law. For whatever reason, he sends messengers to his brother. Said, hey, I want to make things right. Messenger comes back and says, hey, I got good news and I got bad news. Good news is Esau's coming to see you. Bad news is he's bringing 400 of his closest friends. And Esau's scared to death. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill my wives. He's going to kill my kids. God, you, you remember you promised to make a great land of me? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. And isn't it interesting? We still see a little bit of that scheming Jacob. We still see a little of that manipulating Jacob. We still see a little bit of that, I've got to figure it all out, all out, Jacob. Now, he's a little different. We'll get there in a minute. But we still see some of that. I've got to make this work. Are you one of those like me at times? I've got to figure this out. We still see some of that. And he says, all right, this is, this is a brilliant plan. Okay. You're in the front. You take these things. When, when my brother sees you and he says, hey, where, who are you guys with? Where are you from? Oh, your brother. This is all your gifts. And, and then we'll have another group coming behind. Oh, your brother, here's all your gifts. We'll have another group coming behind. Oh, we're from your brother. He wants you to have all these gifts. Well, it's brilliant, humanly speaking, right? Because number one, he's hoping, kill him with kindness. Number two, he's thinking, if he starts killing the first group, I'm out of here. I got some head start to get away from my brother if he starts slaughtering them all. So this is what happens. He gets his whole plan ready, and he goes to get a good night's rest before he sees his brother. Pick it up, if you will, in verse number 22. Verse number 22. And he rose up. I'm sorry, so before we see that, he goes to get a good night's rest, but what happens? He lays down, and I believe his thoughts are swirling. His chest is pumping. His mind is racing. What's going to happen tomorrow? His last words 20 years ago, he wanted to kill me, and he couldn't sleep. So look at verse 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives, and his two women servants, and the eleven sons, and passed over the four Jabbok, and he took them and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, the angel said to Jacob, right here it says just a man, but we find out that he says, I met God face to face. He said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Would you read verse 27 aloud with me this morning? Ready? Begin. And he said unto him, what is thy name? Do you remember chapter 27? Do you remember Jacob's earthly father? When Jacob went to go deceive him, he put the goat's hair on his arms, and he brought the food, 
hey, dad, God's blessed me. I went hunting and here it is. Here's your venison you love. Let's have it. Here's your steak. And his dad, do you remember? Let's put that verse on the screen. Do you remember what his dad said? And he came unto his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am who? Esau. Esau, thy firstborn. Do you remember that question? Who are you? Oh, I'm Esau. Jacob, I'm a deceiver. I'm a schemer. I'm a manipulator. Do you see verse 27? When God, so that, that was his answer to his earthly father. What was his answer to his heavenly father 20 years later? His heavenly father, God said, who are you? And he said, I am Jacob. Verse 28, would you read verse 28 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. He said, and Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore, Jacob's asking the angel, well, that God he saw face to face, who are you? He said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask for my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. True to this day, Orthodox Jews will not eat that tendon that attaches to the hip bone, that sciatic nerve and the blood vessels attached. They will not eat of that to this day, Orthodox Jews, because of this right here. So get the picture. Jacob has his whole plan. I'm going to try to try to fix this thing with Esau on my own. And he goes to sleep and he can't sleep. And he sends his family in and he sends all his stuff over and he's by himself in the middle of the night. And the Bible says there wrestled a man with him. And he begins to wrestle and they're having a wrestling match all night. And and the angel says to Jacob, he says, let me go. And Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. I need something from you. I need a change in my life. I need your power. I need your presence. I need you to do something in my life. And the angel, it says, touched the hollow of his thigh. He put his, his, that, that joint, that, and it shrank and it went out of joint there. He shrank, and it says there, he halted. By the way, he walked with a limp the rest of his life. And the Bible says he left there, but he left there different. He was no more Jacob, verse 28, but Israel. Israel means a prince of God or a prince with God. Jacob means, one of the meanings of Jacob means a few different things, but one of the meanings biblically is supplanter or one that overreaches. It carries along the idea of the heel. Why? Because in the womb, the Bible says that Jacob grabbed his brother by the heel and he supplanted his brother. He overreached. He took that which didn't belong to him. That's what Jacob was. That's who he was for most of his life. And the angel says, I've wrestled. I see a difference. And there's, you're no more Jacob, excuse me, but Israel. You're Israel. (coughs) You're not the one who deceives or overreaches or supplants any longer. You're not the one who takes that which doesn't belong to you any longer. You're now Israel. A leopard has changed its spots. So what do we see in Jacob's life? And you listened well as we walked through our passage today. (coughs) Excuse me. What do we see in Jacob's life that led to his transformation? And I want to suggest to you that these are some of the same things that can and will lead to your transformation or a change in a loved one. 
going to give you four things that we see in Jacob's life that remind us people can change. Number one, what do we see? We see number one, prayer. Do you see it in verse nine? And Jacob said, O God of my father, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst, he said before he ever changed, God, I need your help. It's really one of the first times we see Jacob in this posture. God, this is bigger than me. God, I've made a mess of my life. God, I've made a mess of my family. God, you were there for Abraham, my grandpa. You were there for Isaac, my daddy. God, I need you to help me. What led to his transformation? What led to his change of crying out to God? That area where you're struggling in your life or there's a loved one struggling in your life, have you talked to God about it? Have you poured out your heart to him? James tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It means it gets a lot done. It does a lot. Prayer changes things. Would you say that out loud with me? Prayer changes things. Now here's what we like when we say that. We often like to think, okay, so that's like genie in the bottle. I need God to change this circumstance. And sometimes prayer changes circumstances. Prayer does change circumstances sometimes, but more often, you know what prayer changes? More often, prayer changes us. And when we start to pray, it's a change in our heart. It's a change in our posture. It's a change in our perspective. God, not my will, but thine be done. Not, no, God, you don't have to come through like the genie in the bottle. God, would you just work in my life? By the way, you know what I see here? from uh, Jacob's prayer, it's a reminder, and I want to remind you this morning, it's a good thing to pray the promises of God. You know what Jacob prayed? You can go back, I won't for the sake of time read it, but if you look in, uh, in verse number, oh, let's see, verse 12, verse number, uh, verse number 12, verse number 9, you know what Jacob prayed? He reminded God of his promises to him. That's a good thing when you pray to pray the promises of God. You know what Jacob's saying? You promised to make of me a great nation. How can that happen if I'm dead? You promised to bless me. God, the circumstances of life seem like you're going back on your promises. God, I don't understand. And what did Jacob pray? God, I just want to remind you, you made this promise to me. May I stop and say, in your life, it would be a good thing for you to commit the promises of God to memory and to pray the promises of God. Are you feeling alone this morning? feeling like nobody sees you and nobody cares, nobody knows what you're walking through, it'd be a good thing for you to remember the promise in Hebrews where it says, and God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God, you promised you would never leave me nor forsake me. Would you be that friend that sticks closer than a brother right now? Pray the promises of God. If you're, you're struggling in your life, you're feeling inadequate for what you're facing, it's bigger than me, pray the truth in Scripture that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. God, you're greater than the opposition I'm facing. You're greater than the challenge that's in front of me. I can't do it, but God, by faith, I believe you can. Would you give me grace for today? If you're feeling exhausted spiritually, emotionally, physically, be reminded that he said that all those, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. God, you promised you'd give me peace. You're the Prince of Peace. 
and I don't have any peace right now. God, you promised if I came to you, you'd give me some rest. And God, I'm, I'm weary, I'm exhausted. You said you'd give your beloved sleep if you don't understand what God is doing in your life. And God, I can't figure it out. Pray Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God, I can't figure out how this could ever be worked together for good, but I'm going to pray your promise to me right now, and I'm going to trust you when I can't see. And God, I'm asking you to change that circumstance. But if you don't, would you change my heart in the circumstance? If you're struggling with the regrets of sinful actions in the past, why don't you pray 1 John 1.9, where the Bible says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Are you struggling with condemnation over something in your past? Pray and say, God, you know I struggle with condemning myself for that mistake and that regret and the way I treated that person. God, you know I struggle, but your word says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God, I feel that condemnation, but you said I shouldn't, so Lord, help me to find my identity in you, not in my mistakes in the past. You struggling with doubt about your standing in Christ? Pray John 3.16. God, you said you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him, God, I, I believed in him, shall have eternal life, shall, shall have everlasting life. God, I'm secure in you. My circumstances aren't secure. I mess up. But God, you said that no man can pluck me out of your hand. Pray the promises of God. It's a good thing at times in your prayer time, as you're talking to God, to sing songs with great truth in them. Had a visiting assistant pastor that was here just a few weeks ago, sat over here, and he texted me this morning. We had sang on that Sunday morning the newer hymn, Good and Gracious King. And he, and he texted me and said, this is stirring my heart and helping me this morning. And I prayed for liberty. And so when I got in the car this morning with my family, first song I put on was Good and Gracious King. You know, it's a good thing to sing about who he is to sing truth to him, to pray the promises of God, and let those things. So what led to Jacob, no more Jacob, but Israel? I would suggest to you, number one, prayer. Have you talked to God about that one that you're praying for change and transformation? Have you talked to God about that area of your life that you need his help? Number two, what leads? People can change. What leads to change? Will they is the question, humility. Verse 10, what did Jacob say before he changed? I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Jacob thought 20 years ago he was worthy of all his brother's blessings. 20 years later, God, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. I'm not worthy of the least of your blessings. You know who God can help? The humble. The Bible says a broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not refuse, he'll accept. The Bible says the sacrifices of a broken heart are a sweet and acceptable offering to God. The Bible says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. But if you lift yourself up, the Bible says he'll humble you. It's been said when we are down to nothing, God is usually up to something in our lives. Where's, where does most of the problems in our lives come from? Pride. Where did Satan's problem come from? Pride. 
getting lifted up, thinking we deserve. And where did Jacob's change came? It came after he humbled himself. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I want to say this morning, you and I will never see great changes in our lives until we admit we need great change in our lives. And we admit that we cannot affect that change on our own. What are we saying? God, I need you. The song we sing here, Lord, I come, I confess, uh, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. God, without me, you said we can do nothing. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. When was the last time? I just don't know why God's not helping me. I don't know why God's not coming through here. I don't know why God isn't giving. When was the last time you humbled yourself and admitted, I need you? I can't do this on my own. It's bigger than you, bigger than me. Prayer, humility, number three. Number three. See verse number 12, what does he remind him of? He says in verse 12, and thou sayest, I will surely do thee good. What was it that led to Jacob's transformation? I would suggest to you, God's word. God's word, it was the promises of God. And here's my application for us this morning on this. Do you want to change in an area? Study God's word on that topic. You struggling with anger? Why don't you commit some verses about anger to memory? Why don't you meet with somebody and do a Bible study on anger? Why don't you, every morning you wake up, maybe recite some verses and ponder on those things? You say, what's the big deal about that? Is that the power of positive thinking? No, that's the power of an all-powerful Word of God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, uh, the Bible says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not, what? Sin against God. What does the Bible say? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How is a man going to change his ways? How is a man going to go from one direction to another direction by taking heed thereto according to thy word? The Word of God has great power. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. What can it do? It can pierce to the deepest parts of us and cut away the worst parts of us. God's Word. God, I want to change. Have you spent any time in His Word? Have you applied any of those passages to your life? God's word can cleanse, it can convict, it can transform us if we allow it to. What does the Bible says? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, changed by the renewing of our mind. What renews our mind? The cleansing word of God. How do you know that, Pastor Ryan? Because I've seen it completely transform my life and transform my family and change my family history, and change my future, and change everything about me. Not a church, not a pastor, not the Baptist. Now God used all of those to influence my life. Not some denomination, not a Christian school. Those were all tools, but it was God and His Word through those tools that transformed my whole life. That was pretty good preaching. Someone's trying to give me applause, and they're feeling bad because no one else is joining them. (laughs) Go ahead, join in. There you go. I hear somebody, somebody's trying there, and I feel bad. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty good. All right. Lord, I need humility. Okay. How do we change? Talk to me. Number one, how can people change? Number one, through? Through prayer. Number two, through? Number three, through? Number four, we see it in Jacob's life. Number four, a personal encounter with God. Jacob wrestles with God most of the night. It isn't until he had a personal encounter with God that true change came. We'll see what that change looked like next Sunday. I invite you to be back with us. Do you notice the beginning of his prayer in verse number nine? 
the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac. Do you notice his tone in verse 26? I need you to bless me. It's now personal. It's not just the God of my father or my grandpa. I talked about that with little Remy. He's got a grandpa here who's a preacher of the gospel. He's got a dad here who's a committed Christian. But little Remy has to make a decision for himself. He has to come to a place that it's not the God of my grandpa or the God of my dad, but it's my God. And, it, I, and Jacob has a personal encounter. And every person in here, your parents can't do it for you. And your grandparents can't make that decision for you. And nobody can make that change for you. You have to choose to have a personal encounter with God. Begin a personal relationship with God. I need your power, God. I need your presence. I need your touch. I'm not going to let you go. And I see here, and we're going to wrap this up on this last point, but I see at times a personal encounter with God that changes our lives can be painful. Verse 25, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob, Jacob halted on his thigh. He limped the rest of his life. Can I stop and say change isn't easy? If it was, everybody would do it. And letting God change us isn't easy. It's tough. At times, we have to let go of things we've held tightly to. We have to see relationships sometimes that aren't healthy and good for us maybe fade away. We have to walk through some things being misunderstood. Change can be painful. It hurts sometimes, but I want to say this morning, it's better to know God and His power and presence in our lives and walk with a limp than to not, to live in our own strength without a limp. It was the pain of Jacob's own choices to his brother 20 years earlier that led him to this place of begging God to help him. But it was the pain of bad choices in his past that led him to this personal encounter. Sometimes we have to allow the circumstances of life and the consequences of bad choices to sit in our lives and to sit in our loved one's lives before they'll finally come to a place where they say, now I need you. I've tried to scheme. I've tried to manipulate, and I still can't find peace in my life. I still can't rest. I still can't go to sleep. God, I need you, and that hurts. But it's the hurts and the trials and the regrets of life that can sometimes lead us to realize we need to change. We need God to step in. So I would, I would encourage you this morning, don't despise the pain that often accompanies change in our lives. Tozer said it this way. He said, God does his deepest work in our darkest hours. A personal transformative encounter with God, I'm not talking about something spooky or mystical, I'm talking about something very real and spiritual. It sometimes hurts. That was certainly true for Jacob here. God did his deepest work in Jacob's darkest hour. It is often through the struggle that God does his deepest, most transformative work. Butterflies, butterflies are beautiful creatures, aren't they? They're a wonderful picture of transformation. Butterflies start out as not so beautiful little creepy crawlers, little caterpillar. That's kind of pretty, but not nearly as pretty as the butterfly. They start out as little things that slowly move along the ground, and, and they go, and they go into this cocoon-like thing. And, and uh, how many of you have seen this process, maybe in your backyard, or maybe like our family, you've ordered the kit for the kids, and they do it at home. You've seen this process where a caterpillar goes in and makes its cocoon, and then it comes out, and it ends up being a beautiful butterfly that soars and fulfills God's plan. I'm told, I'm told that it's the struggle of breaking out of the cocoon that is part of the process 
that helps the butterfly pump enough fluid, the necessary fluids, into its wings to strengthen it enough so that it can fly. And I'm told that when it's in that cocoon-like structure, if a human intervenes and tries to cut it open or help it too much, you run a great risk of damaging its wings or of not allowing it to struggle enough to get enough strength in its wings to where it will never fly. What is the picture? The picture is the pain and the struggle is part of God's plan for it to become what God created it to be. And the same picture is that of us Sometimes we don't want the pain, and it really hurts to watch others that we love going through the pain that God may use to bring transformation in their lives, but it's often the struggle where God helps us. What does the Bible say? When I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. It's in the trials of life. When I am weak, then is he strong. His grace is sufficient in my struggles, in my pains, in my weakness. We want to save ourselves and our loved ones from pain and trials. And I'm not saying not to walk through them with them or to love them through it or pray with them through it. But sometimes it's through the painful consequences of their choices and the difficult circumstances of life that God can do the transformative work in their lives to eventually soar for his glory. Change is painful at times. If we're going to change, it has to be personal. I've already mentioned this a little bit, but no one can make the change for you. Isn't that one of the hardest things when we see loved ones making hurtful choices in their lives? We want to shake them, don't we? Wake up. Don't go down this road. Don't do that. But it has to be personal. Nobody can make that change for you, and you can't make that change for anyone else. It had to become personal for Jacob. Jacob had to come to a place that he was ready to change. What about you today? Are you at that place that you're finally ready to humble yourself, to pray, to get into God's word and to say, God, I need you to make this personal change. It takes perseverance. What did he say? I will not let thee go. I'm not leaving here the same. I don't care how long it takes. Let me go. It's daybreak. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. No, I don't care. And he, he hurt his thigh. He said, I don't care. I'm not letting you go. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care what it, what it delays in my life. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I need your presence. I need your power. I need you to do this work in my life. It took, by the way, it wasn't just one night of wrestling. It took Jacob 20 years to get to this place. Sometimes it takes perseverance. It takes some time to get to this place. Can I just stop here and say, give people some time. Give yourself some time. Sometimes in counseling, I talked with a, a, a sweet couple this week, and I told them this. Often in counseling, I'll tell people, it's not going to be a day or a week to fully get victory or get out of what took you months or years to get into. It's going to take some time. Now, God can do a great work. And by the way, salvation is instantaneous. Salvation is transformative right away. But in our sanctification, sometimes, well, it would be like me. I've, I've been eating poorly and not exercising for 20 years. I'm going to run a marathon next Saturday. You would say you're going to quit or die, one of the two, but you're not running a marathon. Your only two options are quitting or dying. It, why? Because it's taken me years to get out of shape. I'm not going to get in shape in four days. 
We understand that physically, but the same is true in our lives. And so give yourself some time. Give yourself some grace. Give the people around you some time. Give them some grace. God, people can change, but sometimes it's going to take perseverance. You can can expect progress, but you need to determine if you're willing to fight to get victory with God. It often takes time. Number four, it's that personal encounter. It takes honesty. Sorry, I couldn't alliterate it with a P letter. What did Jacob, he had to get honest. Who are you? Harkens back to when his dad said, who are you? Oh, I'm Esau. Who are you? I believe God is saying, who are you, Jacob? I'm the one that overreaches. I'm the one that takes what isn't mine. I'm the one that schemes. I'm the one that deceives. Isn't it interesting? By the way, God knew who he was. But he was asking, are you ready to be honest now, Jacob? There is, no, there is no restoration without true repentance. There is no healing without honesty. You're not going to find true healing until you're truly honest. Who are you? I am who I have been for decades. I'm Jacob, but I don't want to be. You're no more Jacob. You're Israel. You're no more deceiver. You're a prince with God. You're no more supplanter, you're a prince of God, a father of my my promised people, my nation. It takes honesty. And then lastly, I see that when you have a personal encounter with God, the change that he brings is permanent. When you meet God personally, it changes you permanently. When you trust Christ as Savior, your sins are forgiven, and your eternity is forever secure. What happened? Jacob walked with a limp. His name remained Israel. The change that God gave him on that night, physically and personally, it lasted the rest of his life. When you meet God as Savior, no, it doesn't mean you don't have any other troubles or struggles, but your life is forever changed. Your eternity is forever changed. A personal encounter with God is not some self-help, turn over a new leaf. It's not some crash diet. It's not some crash course of changing my life. No, it is, it is not me pulling myself by my own bootstraps to be a little better version of myself. It is death unto life. It's not improvement. It's transformation. It's not I'm a little better than I used to be. It's I'm totally different than I was. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm a new creature. Yes, I still struggle with my flesh, but the change that God did as a nine-year-old boy when I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone, it was a forever change, a permanent change. My sins are forgiven. Heaven's my home, and I am a child of God. No matter what I do, it's permanent. No more a sinner on my way to hell, now I'm a saint on my way to heaven. No longer a child of culture living foolishly for the things of this earth, I'm now a child of God seeking to live wisely for the things of heaven. Why? Because of who I am? Oh no, because of who he is. Because of who he is. And I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe you've bought into the lie of yourself, well you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's just who I am. It's what I saw in my dad. It's how my parents were. I'm a son of an alcoholic. My mom always lost her temper. They were manipulative, so I'm manipulative. They were lazy, I'm lazy. May I just stop and say, answer that question with me. Can a leopard change his spots, yes or no? Sure. The question now is will he? Not always, 
and not automatically, but it can. And let that give you hope for yourself. And let that give you hope for your loved one. God can. Now, you can't do it for him. And Jacob's dad couldn't do it for him. And Esau couldn't do it for him. And his wives couldn't do it for him. And Laban, his father-in-law, couldn't do it for him. But when Jacob came to a place where he came to the end of himself, and he said, I can't do it anymore. God, I cry out to you. Prayer. God, I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. Humility. God, remember what you told me. God's word. God, would you meet me? It was on that night after 20 years as Jacob the deceiver that God said, no more Jacob, Israel. God can, he can give you eternal victory with salvation. That's a one-time decision that happens like that. And by the way, he can give you earthly victory. It might be painful. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be, have to be personal. It's gonna take some honesty and it can be long-lasting in your life, permanent. People can change. Give yourself some grace and some time. Give those around you grace and time and let God do his work in their lives. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.